Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and this is part two of our Hot Topics in Cardiac CT. And part one, I ended speaking about training. And so what I'm going to help you with is some training, because everything we do in terms of these vodkas indeed is training. So let's look at this issue here. We talk about cardiac tumors, and one of the most common cardiac tumors we think about are myxomas. They're rare, but they're the most common uh, benign tumor we do see. One of the issues is that sometimes we're uncertain if we see a filling defect in the right atrium or left atrium, is it a thrombus or is it a tumor? Very difficult sometimes to make that decision. If a patient has a catheter in and you see it at the very end of the catheter, then it's kind of easy, but otherwise it indeed can be difficult. Now there was just an article by Scheffel that looked at this very carefully. And they made the point that atrial myxomas and thrombi can be differentiated by a number of factors size, origin, shape, mobility, and prolapse. And they made that typical statement, it's accurate, but may fail in some cases. So let, let's see what parameters they looked at. Here's a nice schematic of a myxoma. Here it is on CT, nice smooth mass of the intraatrial septum, may have faint calcification. Here's another one. Okay, those are two beautiful left atrial myxomas. But tell me some more. Okay, I'll tell you some more. Myxomas, it's the most common benign primary tumor of the heart. Typically arises from the left atrium near the intraatrial septum, uh, but the key differential diagnosis, as we said, is thrombus. So here are the parameters that we'll look at. CT attenuation, size, left versus right atrium, origin of mass, shape, mobility, and the presence of prolapse. So let's look at these in order. Attenuation. There was really no difference. Most of them were in the 40 to 60 Hounsfield unit range. What about size? Well, myxomas were typically larger, but again, there's a lot of variability. But when it's a large mass, you got to think myxoma. What about the frequency of left versus right atrium? Well, using that as a differentiating point, there was really no difference, and so it was not helpful. What about the origin of the mass? Was that helpful? And indeed it was. Most thrombi are in the left atrial appendage. Uh, you typically don't see a myxoma in the left atrial appendage. Well, okay, that's great if you see a thrombus in the atrial appendage. They're usually small. That's an easy diagnosis. I'm talking about those big thrombi in the RA or LA, which can be difficult. So again, this is helpful in select instances, but not always. What about shape? Well, villous shape is more common in myxomas. That can be helpful but not always. I think calcification is probably more helpful. Unless a thrombus is very old, it's not going to calcify. Imyxomas not uncommonly have calcification. What about mobility? Well, if you do 4D imaging, myxomas typically are more mobile. So you can see like a stalk, and they're moving when you do 4D imaging. So that can be helpful, and that's one of the findings people use when they do echo, right? You see that mobility. What about prolapse? Well, prolapse is no different. So you can see this article, the title was great, made me think they had all the answers, but when you get down to it, it still can be a very, very tough call. Okay, what else? Um, these days, every time I look at a journal, radiation dose is spoken about. And that doesn't need to be a journal of radiology or cardiology or medicine or ER, but it can be the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal or Newsweek or People Magazine even. So what about radiation dose? We know we're making great strides. The newest scanners drop dose 80, 90%. We're talking about putting a flash in, 
dose in the range of one millisievert to two millisieverts, new GE 750 high D, one to three millisieverts. So we're really doing a good job. Just some of the things I've read recently, and there have been articles recently across every application from CTRography to non-contrast stones to doing dissection and pulmonary embolism to doing PET-CT. And here's a comment, a good comment by John Mayo, advances in CT technology have resulted in significant increase in cardiac CT applications. It's imperative that the radiologists understand the resulting dose implication to the patient and actively engage in optimal protocol design to achieve adequate image quality with patient dose reduction in mind. Can't argue with that. And in fact, I usually show the slide about coronary CTA critical factors and coronary angiography critical factors. Well, we talk about temporal resolution with coronary CTA, and we say it's 83 to 85 milliseconds with dual source. Typically, it's 150 to 180. We compare that to classic cath, which is 8 milliseconds. We talk about spatial resolution for cardiac CT at 0.3 to 0.4. At uh, classic angiography, it's 0.2. And we talk about dose. And you see, the big thing initially was that coronary angiography, catheter-based, was in the 2 to 3 or up to 6 millisievert range, depending how you did it. And classic coronary CT angiography was 15 to 20. Now you can see that CT really is in the realm of classic coronary angiography. So that can indeed be very important to us. A couple other things. There were some very nice articles. Here was an article by Fletterer. The use of lower tube voltage leads to a significant reduction in exposure. Uh, image quality in non-obese patients is not negatively influenced. And in that article, what they found was that mean intraluminal attenuation, contrast enhancement, and image noise were higher at 100 kV instead of 120. But signal-to-noise and contrast-to-noise were not significantly different between the two protocols. And they found that you're able to go with 100 instead of 120 and get good image quality. Now, of course, when we decrease dose, we need to make sure we maintain image quality. If you have bad images and dose was zero, there'd be no point in doing the studies. Now, how important is going from 120 to 100? Well, it was a decrease in exposure of almost 39%. That's just incredibly impressive. And the reason for that is something we always forget that radiation dose increases with the square of tube voltage and small changes in tube voltage re result in a large change in dose. So when you go from 120 to 100, you have about a 40% reduction. If you can go from 120 to 80, it's an 80% reduction. The new scanners are looking at 80 to 90 kV, which is much better with contrast. You can use lower contrast volumes because it's closer to the KH of iodine. So many advantages, very, very important. Um, what else about radiation? This article by Jill Jacobs, NYU, dual source CT provides better image quality than single source despite higher uh, heart rates in the dual source group. Uh, this supports the use of uh, dual source without the need for pre-medication. Uh, also in this article they make the point about radiation dose. Radiation dose is probably 10 to 20 percent lower with dual source imaging, all things considered. Uh, that's even at 120 kV, and with dual source potentially we can drop down to 90 kV. So that should be very interesting. Uh, they also commented in this article that dual source also uh, help reduce calcium artifacts. So dual source imaging, uh, a lot of interest. Uh, that's what we've been using, and it does work out very nicely. Now, I mentioned 
in the prior talk we were speaking about calcified plaque how we use that as one of the important tools for managing risk stratification in patients and a common question then is what about non-calcified plaque how do you quantify it well we could see non-calcified plaque and calcified plaque and analysis of non-calcified plaque is very important when we determine luminal stenosis it's typically not seen in non-contrast CT but it's seen on contrast enhanced CT but do we quantify it do we have an Agustin equivalent well the answer is we don't and that's one of the areas of great interest what's the significance of the density of non-calcified plaque is more fat better or worse how do we quantify it and this article by Schuff made the point quantification of calcified plaque is standardized there's no validated approach currently to quantify non-calcified plaque so that's something again common question something you should know now in looking at the coronaries we talk about in the acute setting we talk about the acute aortic syndrome so what are we talking about that's often a common question well it's a number of factors it includes penetrating atherosclerotic ulcer acute thoracic aortic injury intramural hematoma dissection aneurysmal leakage and there have been several nice articles here's an article from Ella Kazaruni's group that MDCT angiography is used to evaluate the spectrum of thoracic aortic aneurysms knowledge of the cause significance and appearances as well as potential complications is essential for prompt and accurate diagnosis this article also answers a question we commonly get what's the top normal size of the aorta well the normal diameter of the mid ascending aorta should always be less than four centimeters descending aorta less than three it does increase with age but that four cm is typically a very good number now when we measure uh, there's issues how do you measure do you do it on a curved planar reconstruction we use the center line to use an axial image and we'll save that discussion for another time because it is very important one of the things also commented on that article is dilatation of sinus of valsalva and typically you see that in Marfan's that's most common homocystinuria Ehlers-Danlos osteogenesis imperfecta and of course idiopathic in terms of thoracic aortic aneurysms one question that we often get is when do you operate this aorta is 4.4 centimeters or 4.7 what does that mean well typically the rules are as follows ascending aorta over 5.5 cm you operate descending aorta over 6.5 or increase in aneurysm size of greater than 1 cm in one year I remember one of our uh, employees here had about a 5 centimeter or 5.5 centimeter aneurysm and the question was to operate well she was older and our senior cardiac surgeon made the point that it's a risk reward let's see if it grows well the aneurysm continued to grow she was operated on and did fine so it's a risk reward at the 5 to 5.5 centimeters when do you operate what's the timing but again risk reward so hopefully I've covered a number of interesting topics they're all hot off the press they were published in the April or May 2009 journals and as we always say cardiac CT is rapidly evolving stay tuned for more updates and with that have a great day